Let us open our Bibles together to Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 21. And there we will read God's word on a subject that we have been dealing with in Advent and Christmas of Christ the King. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 21. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled 
with their flesh. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, in Christ's name I pray, amen. Here at the beginning of the year, I wanted to put before you the stark contrast between two suppers. At the one, you will eat and you will be fed unto eternal life forever and ever. At the other one, the one at the end of the chapter, the supper of our great God, you become the meal. You are either eating unto eternal life or you are the eaten. And I wanted to put that at the very beginning because as we begin a new year, we need to see clearly that life matters, that faith or the lack of it has an effect and it leads to eternal consequences. As we step back a moment and consider what we were talking about in Advent at Christmas, we noted that Last week, that the eternal Son of God was born a king. And we saw the angels crying out and singing, glory to God in the highest. And we recognize that this being in the highest is a picture of where kings sit. Even as it is in Psalm 24, that we are meant to lift up the gates of our hearts, that the king of glory may come in. And he uh, that is a, a, a psalm that we use on Palm Sunday also to speak of the coming in of Christ, that, that the king of glory may come in to his work of salvation. And then we say it on Ascension Sunday, that they would go up in the heavenlies, that the gates of heaven would open up for the king. Yes, we've been talking about the king. And we may wonder a little bit sometimes when we talk about born a king, are those little ones really kings? Well, they are what are called heir apparents. And you better believe that Henry VIII considered Edward VI to be a king, to be someone he had been waiting for and manipulating to get his whole life. Yeah, that, that little guy was a king, but he was an heir apparent, not yet on the place of authority, but we understood last week this miracle of what we call the extra Calvinisticum, or otherwise known as the extra Catholicum, the, 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 the belief of the whole Catholic Church, that the eternal Son of God, while incarnate in the flesh, continued to uphold all things by the word of his power. He didn't cease to be the Son of God, holding the universe together, Hebrews 1.3. And in him... All things hold together. Colossians 1.17. This is what the great fathers, Augustine and Cyril and Athanasius, and throughout the Middle Ages, they believed and they taught that divinity is not limited. It is present everywhere. And Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that he has taken on. He continued to be the king of creation and the moon did not spin out of its orbit around the sun the moment the Holy Spirit overshadowed the womb of Mary. Yes, all things continued to be held together. And so he was 
a, a king regnant. He still reigned as the king of the universe, even incarnate in the flesh. Now, what I like to talk about is the other end of this whole experience of seeing God as the king in the scripture, Christ as the king in the scriptures. And we come here to the end of Revelation and we see Christ portrayed as king in his ascended and reigning state where he is even now and from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I just want to bring home a reminder to us in this introduction that sometimes we mix up the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. I'm not saying that you mix it up that you don't know that there is an a first coming and a second coming, but we misunderstand their significance in our life. Sometimes we treat ourselves and we treat other people around us as if in the first coming of Jesus, his major purpose was to condemn us and just to, to make us somehow uh, wriggle under his thumb. And we forget the words of the Apostle John in chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now we will wriggle under the reading of the law, as our brother pointed out. We will be uncomfortable when brought face to face with our sin, but we must not despair that it's too late, that it's over, that somehow we're too bad to be saved. It is in the second coming of Christ that we know the king preeminently as the judge of the living and the dead. He comes as the judge for his people in the sense that he has already borne that judgment at the cross of Calvary. He comes in the applicatory character of that to his people, but he comes for those not believing as the judge who shall bring about some of the vengeance that you see described here in Revelation 19. Jesus is not a benevolent, good humor ice cream man. He is not here to sweeten and cool the experience of going to hell. He is here to declare to us that we are accountable for wickedness and rebellion. And he isn't just a nice guy who gives out cool treats. We need to recognize that the fundamental rebellion, which is described here in verse 19, that these characters, even all people, free and slave, who gather together to make war against God shall be held accountable. Let us not rebel. Let us come to Christ today. And let us consider Christ, verses 6 through 10, blessed and called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verses 11 through 16, the battle procession of the King of Kings. And verses 17 through 21, defeated and devoured at the supper of the great God. So verses 6 through 10, through faith in Christ, we are blessed and called 
to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Count yourself invited today to that supper as the free offer of the gospel goes out to you. You are called to partake in faith at the feast in heaven as you have been incorporated into the body of Christ's church. Verse 9, he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. As Jesus makes clear in Luke chapter 14, that those who know themselves to be spiritually blind, who need sight, the spiritually poor who need salvation, the lame who cannot walk in health. These are the people who follow Christ, those who know their need of a Savior. These are the ones who hear the call of God and come into the wedding feast. For these are the ones who don't present excuses for not coming to the banquet. They're preoccupied with self-centered priorities like testing their oxen or buying a piece of ground or uh, simply have no interest in God, no room for God in their Google Calendar lives. And so this feast here at the end of Revelation is the grand culmination as I was reminded by one of my son-in-laws yesterday. It's a grand culmination of all the celebratory feasts in the Old Testament, such as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is associated with the Passover at the time of the Exodus out of Egypt. Remember this feast in which an unblemished lamb was, was killed and eaten, and the blood was daubed on the lintels and the side posts of the door so that the angel of death would pass over and not take the firstborn of that family. Now, today, we put our trust in not an unblemished animal, but rather the unblemished, sinless, holy and righteous God-man, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And this Lamb is the firstborn of the Virgin Mary, the firstborn of all creation, having all authority as a king who bore the sin of his people, carrying on his back the guilt of his people. You need to trust in this Savior today, that you would be welcome at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the heavenlies. And the basis for coming to that feast is his saving work, which is made real in the life of believers. Look at verse number eight. It says, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. That fine linen was given unto them. This is the gift of grace. And when we read that the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, I understand that to mean it is the righteousnesses. There's no act in the Greek language. There's no word there for that. This righteousness is, is understood as the singular righteousness of Christ, which is understood distributively upon the saints. The singular righteousness of Christ is distributed and accounted to the many saints. 
who are thereby granted to be arrayed in fine linen. And so I call you today to receive this forgiveness by faith. I call you to come to Christ and believing in him, take upon yourself the righteous robe of Christ. And I ask you today to recognize that this one whom whom you trust is both a king and a lamb. If you turn back with me just for a moment to Romans 5 and verses 5 and 6. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now there's a kingly image. The root of David. There's another kingly image. Has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then in a masterful stroke of apocalyptic imagery, he looks and he looks again. And there now, standing in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This Christ who is king is also the lamb who laid down his life to protect and to help his people. And so I want to encourage you today that as you come to this service, as you recognize that this is a need in your life, if if you have trusted in Jesus, you are welcome at this table if you have been also joined to his church through membership. And I ask you today to be the ones who walk with Jesus. Come to the table where we celebrate this same meal. The marriage feast of the Lamb is even being celebrated here across space and time. Some of you have lost loved ones over the past years who died in the Lord Jesus. And passing from one year to the next reminds us of them. I remember that when we went to visit Matt and Kate, over in the Czech Republic, my wife's father was very ill. And one of the last conversations we had with him on the telephone was just at the passage of the year. And it was a time we think here often at the beginning of the year, those who we have lost. What I want you to think that, that when you're at this table, it's a long table. It's much wider than what you see before us. It's a long, long table that goes back into eternity past and into eternity future. And somewhere down the line there are your believing loved ones and you don't get to talk with them, okay? because we don't believe that the dead speak with the living. But they're there, and they partake with us outside of time, and they bear also the wonderful blessing of being saved. And we are with them in what is called the communion of the saints. And we worship God today by hearing his word, by taking of his table by even having a true communion with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Now, turning to verses 11 through 16, 
we come to what's called the battle procession of the king of kings. Just look at this drama. See this one called faithful and true coming out of heaven on a white horse. And then see in his train all those who come after him. Verse 14, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And then come to the conclusion quickly before we go back over this and see who it is. It is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the master of all authorities whatsoever, the Lord of lords. He is the king of all kings. And here is what kings do. Verse 11. They ride white horses. Pure, holy, set apart because they're special. And white being set apart for God's purposes. As good kings maintain faithfully the truth of the kingdom, enforcing its law. But yet, they do it as one who himself is faithful and true. He faithfully went to the cross of Calvary before he rode this horse. He truly took upon us our sin. As Jesus said in Mark 8, For even the Son of Man did, come, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The great and the good king will sacrifice to protect his people. Here is what kings do. Verse 11, they judge and they make war. They determine what is the proper response of that ruling figure, the king, in the face of evil. And then they enforce punishment as necessary. And here is a picture of power. His eyes were like a flame of fire. It's an illuminated eye. It's one that doesn't need light out there to see where it is going. It is an omniscience to see into all that it is, even the secrets of our hearts. As we come out of the old into the new year, Consider your heart. Consider the awesome and terrifying presence that to face such a king would be at the last day unless you had first closed with Christ as your Savior. Know him that knows all about you. And we see here that his head wears crowns, verse 12, the many crowns of all authority in all areas of life and of all nations king of our work life, our family life, our church life, the personal life of his people, the political life, the life of our mind, the life of our body, the life of our soul. And he bears those crowns of authority. Indeed, it says he had a name that no one knew except himself. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He revealed it. That means there's stuff about God that you don't get on your own. We cannot be those who spin our tale of speculation about God. We are dependent upon revelation. And what is it possibly the name referred to? Perhaps it is Yahweh. Perhaps it is 
the mystery and the marvel of the incarnation that this son of God was both God and man. It could be that this name is that name Emmanuel, God with us. Whatever the reference, it has now been revealed, for you have heard all those names. You know that Jesus is the eternal Lord, the same Lord who created everything, and that he as one uh, person of the Trinity is even there in the Old Testament. And he is speaking to God's people in the wilderness. And he is like a pillar of cloud in the wilderness and a pillar of fire. Yes, he is all these things, and he has come, as we remembered at Christmas, to be God with us, Emmanuel. And what does a king do? He has these armies in his train. It could be the angels, for it says in Mark 8:38, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, or it could be his people who wear and are clothed in fine linen, uh, alluding again to verse 8. Having been granted a linen, white and clean, they are his people, his army. But they do not come to do battle themselves. For it says here in the next verse, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, speaking of the wicked. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And this is all done because he has the power to save his people and to condemn his enemies because he was clothed, verse 13, with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. That robe is that robe reddened by the sacrifice of his life at Calvary. And the communication of the same is the word of God, which even comes out of his mouth as a sharp sword. It is he who takes care of business. And we are there to observe and to be a company of the rejoicing and the vindication of God's people against the wicked, and in the vindication of God against all those who would rebel against him. So here is the king, wrapped in vesture, powerful. Here is the king who treads the winepress and who is on his robe and on his strongest muscle in the body, which is the thigh, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. But here in verses 17 to 21 is this supper where you don't want a seat at that banquet. Because the human beings who come there to be eaten are those who are rebels. They are the ones who are coming and have gathered, verse 19, against him to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. These are the anti-Christ people. And you may say, well, I guess there's a few special people there. Yeah, heard of the beast before, and we can't do a whole survey of Revelation this morning. You'd be glad to hear. But the beast, 
likely has something to do with the civil authority. My son will fill me in on this. He got a whole year of revelation from his chapter, from his pastor out in Idaho Falls. Probably a civil authority. And the prophet, probably the false prophet, is probably an ecclesiastical authority. Makes sense, right? Prophets represent God, and the false prophet is the church authority who opposes God. And I've run into my fair share of such people over 30 years of ministry. And I come today just to say, God bless you and may God bless us together that we would be able to resist both the beast and the false prophet. But know that they will be with us to the end of time. And know that they will be put down, finally, the false civil authority who arrogates rebellious authority to himself, even legalizing abortion and legalizing forms of marriage, which are no marriage, contrary to God's word, and, and making us to toe the line and to take photographs at their weddings and to build the beautiful birthday cakes the beautiful cakes that would celebrate that which is offensive to us, yeah, that's the kind of civil authority here that glories in immorality. And the false prophets are those who cheer on that civil authority. And I've heard my share of that over the years. I ask you today to be those who come to the marriage feast of the Lamb in faith. I ask you today to not be found or counted among verse 18. Read these sobering words. The call is to, that the birds will come and eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them up to there. Well, okay, I'm, I'm not any of those things. But look at this. And the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Well, it obviously has nothing to do with the people who are at the marriage feast of the Lamb. The all people is in the context of rebellion. But the wide description of all those different types of people, the small and the great, the free and the slave, that includes every Human being who rebels against God, whether they are young or old, powerful or weak, but who will not bend the knee willingly to our Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, these are captured. These who war against Jesus will be judged. And indeed, verse 21, we read, the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. You have a choice today. I call you to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Come, believe upon him. Trust in him. Rest not in your own works. And do not be lazy in your sins. Confess them and come to Christ. 
that he who died for you, whose robes are dipped in blood, may even present to you today the fine linen, which is the righteousness of Christ distributed to the saints. Come and be fed even at his table and know the message of salvation for your new year that you may escape the supper of the great God where one would be eaten and instead come to the supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come to you today thanking you for your word. And we also come here, O oh God, having heard from you to speak unto you of our needs, of our spiritual needs, even here at the beginning of the year. We pray, O oh God, that you will bless this congregation as we enter now our 31st year. We pray that you will bring us faith, that you will help us to be growing in our faith and that the family of God may enlarge even among us here in this fellowship. We pray that you will lead to us single people, older people, young families, Lord, those who desire to worship you and glorify you in their lives. And we pray you bring to us people who don't know a thing about that yet, but who want to be loved. May we be that loving community that introduces them to the gospel. 